that bad addict. Um, every time I was able to get a loan, I was doing drugs. I've been to prison four times, twice in the state, twice in the fed. I was doing all this crazy stuff, cooking drugs and just staying high. God called me from a prison cell. I was a homeless drug addict, and my hope was found in a needle. I was eight months pregnant, homeless, um, living out of my van. You know, it wasn't freeway that saved me. It wasn't John Stroop that saved me. But God uses freeway in such a mighty way as a tool to reach these people. There's not a community or a county in America that doesn't have a drug problem. And the, the church has the answer, and it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Welcome to One Broken Life. My name is John Stroop with Freeway Ministries, and I want to invite you guys to uh, join us with my guests here today, Amber and Will Clendenin. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Freeway Ministries uh, is, One Broken Life is a production, production of Freeway Ministries. Uh, we explore the unique lives of individuals. Uh, we believe that the bigger the mess, the bigger the message. And many times uh, people don't realize uh, what actually people, what actually God can do through people who have uh, who've been through addiction and had a criminal background. When God gets a hold of their lives, uh, they make a giant impact. And so, one of the things that we want to do is is explore that. We want to show people the stories and let them hear about the lives that have been impacted and how Christ has uh, taken people from your background and my background and just used them in a mighty, mighty way. And this is a unique uh, episode because we have a couple on. We've never done this before, but I wanted to have you guys join us as a couple and uh, just explore your lives and talk about what God has done, BC, uh, before Christ, and then what your life was like then, and then what God has done now uh, after Christ and, and how he has radically changed you and uh, just done a, a, a great work. And so um, I appreciate you guys joining me today. Uh, the theme verse of this podcast is Psalms fifty one seventeen. Uh, the the sacrifices of God are a broken and contrite heart, uh, and and so that's that's the case. Is that um, you come to that broken place? Everybody has a broken place, you know. No matter if they were on drugs or they come from a criminal background or or what their story is, if they're a Christian, they came to a place where they realized that they were uh, sinning against God, that they were born sinners in need of a Savior, and they were redeemed by Jesus. And so this is a, this is a wonderful uh, opportunity for you guys to share your story and, and tell people what God has done in your life. And so I, what I'll do is I'll just talk to you a little bit, Amber. I'll ask you a question, then I'll ask you a question, Will. And make sure you, you talk because they can't hear your head nods, okay? Uh, and so what was your child like, childhood like growing up, Amber? Um, I was raised in a two-parent um, household. Um, my dad was in the ministry. He was the Army chaplain for 24 years. Um, my whole family was in the ministry. Um, I had two very loving parents, um, no abuse in the home. I had a great family. Um, but I was very defiant from a very young age and um, never really committed um, to the church. I resented having to go to church all the time. I resented having to be in church. 
Um, and so even though I was raised in a loving Christian home, I, um, I tried to um, have nothing whatsoever to do with that foundation that was laid for me. Yeah. What about you, Will? Um, I grew up a lot different than Amber. I would say that I grew up in a two-parent home for the most part. My parents got divorced in 2000 or 1996, maybe. Not sure exact dates, but anyways, um, drugs started in our home, and um, so that pushed off into us as, as kids. I, I started drugs at an early age, at the age of 12. And so um, I never grew up in church and never heard the gospel. Um, okay. Okay. So this may be obvious for some, but I'm going to go mm -hmm. ahead and say it. You guys are married. Mm -hmm. And yes. so, um, you know, we're going to get into a little bit of the blended family stuff later on is coming from your background and talk to people about that and the struggles in that. In the second episode, maybe the first, we'll see how long it takes. But um, so you both come from a past of alcohol, drugs, crime. And all that, and you both come from two opposite backgrounds. Yes. Right? Yes. And so you come from a toxic family, mm -hmm. and you come from a, I don't know what you would call it, I guess a traditional family, mm -hmm. raised in church, yeah. mom, same mom, same dad, no drugs and alcohol in the home, no abuse. And so, uh, and you both fell into addiction. You both fell into criminal criminal mentality and, and that kind of behavior. So that, that right there should show people that it doesn't really doesn't always mean that just because your kids are a certain way and committing crime and going the wrong direction in life and getting in trouble and getting on drugs and stuff that it's because you raised them wrong right exactly uh, I'm thinking about the prodigal son and, and you know he was a picture of uh, the, the father was a picture of fa the father God and the prodigal son was a picture of those who rebel against him and and he's a perfect father right and so uh, and I can go on and on about that but we better for a second time <laughs> not do that and so, Amber, how long have you been clean and sober? Um, I have been clean and sober for um, almost uh, well, over seven years. Um, I have been out of prison for over six um, and clean for almost eight, actually. Okay. What about you, Will? Um, the last time I used methamphetamine was August 17th, 2017. I walked into Taney County Jail and got arrested. So that was the last time I used any alcohol or drugs. Okay. So you guys got some sobriety under your belt. Um, so what do you guys do right now? What's your What do you do for a living? What's your What's your job? So they can, whoever okay. wants to answer, All whatever. Right. Well, um, I work at Corwin Dodge. I work in, as a parts consultant with them. This broadcast has been sponsored by Corwin Dodge. You tell them. <laughs> <that>. All right. <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so that's that's what that's where I work at today. I've never really uh, held a job, but I got when I um, I learned how to do parts in, two, in 2017. I learned how to do parts at Marshfield Chevrolet, and that kind of started off like a, I would say, almost a career in the parts department field. So, cool. What about you? Um, I work um, for Freeway Ministries. So. Awesome. Um, I volunteered here for over five years, and when I graduated from Missouri State, you asked me to come on staff. So, Awesome. So yeah. you got a job in ministry. Yep. Yes. Cool. So let's talk about your broken place. Uh, this this uh, podcast is called One Broken mm -hmm. Life, and kind of one of our themes is one broken life at a time, right? Where you, you can't save the world. Um, you can't save every single person. No one can save anyone, but 
you know, Christ does the saving work, but we, we, we are trying to reach one broken life at a time. And so that's kind of our theme. So let's talk about your brokenness, your broken story, where you came to that place, Amber, to where you realized, oh man, you know, I'm, I'm sinning against God. Uh, my life is unmanageable. Um, I need to repent and trust mm-hmm. in Jesus and you were changed. And so, uh, when did that, let's talk about what brought you there. Um, I, there's a two, two things that I can think of that, um, pushed me so far away from God, um, was I, when I was 14, um, I, I was raped when I was 14 and then my dad died when I was 22 and I was in prison. And so I was super angry at the Lord for a long time. I felt like he had, um, neglected my family and abandoned us. And so I lived in anger for a long time. Um, and I ended up going back to prison for the third time, um, in 2014. And I ended up going to the hole and in the hole, if anybody knows, you don't get your, you don't get anything but your Bible. What's the hole? Um, solitary confinement. Okay. And, um, I got taken down there on a Tuesday evening. Tuesday morning is when they bring the books. So for a week I wouldn't have any books, um, but my Bible and they bring your personal belongings, and I looked at my Bible um, for two days, um, sitting there in that mesh bag, and I finally opened it up, and I knew how to read the Bible. I'd been taught how to, re- how to read the Bible, and so I started with two chapters in the Old Testament and one in the New, and um, I got to Mark 5, verses 1 through 5, the story of the demon-possessed man, and, um, and I saw myself. I finally saw my sin the way that um, Christ saw my sin, um, I thought of my IV drug use when, um, when scripture talked about the demon possessed man cutting himself with stones. And I finally saw what sin was doing to my life, that it was ravaging my life. And, um, I asked the Lord to change me. Um, I didn't, I told him I didn't care what happened, how long I sat in prison. Um, I didn't care what it took. I, I didn't want to live that way anymore. And, and he did, he, he changed me immediately um, I started reading past that to the um, story of the woman with the issue of blood, um, and I saw my healing, how God healed me, um, and my purpose. He gave me my purpose. I wanted to minister to women at that point, and I didn't know what that looked like, but I knew that God had changed my life and that he would use me. Awesome. So you surrendered to him then? Yep. Okay. And that was in prison? Mm-hmm. What yes, year? 2014 or two, 2016. Okay. Yeah. I All went right. to prison in 2014 and I got saved 2016. How many times have you been in prison? Three. Okay. Eight and a, I've done eight and a half years total. And Will, what brought you to that broken place? Well, um, two, uh, let me see. Most of my whole adult life from 18 um, on in jails, mental institutions, and drug rehabs, and everything. And I'd say that the last time, when I said the last time I used drugs was August 17th, 2017. I went to court, and I got arrested in Taney County. And I, uh, September 28th, uh, while I was on, I would back up a little bit, I was in there for my second possession of methamphetamine charge, and they were talking prior and persistent, like they wanted to, they wanted to do something with me, like put me away for a while. So 
September 28th, 2017, while I was in there, I got news that my mom had died. And I asked if I could be alone and, uh, and somewhere else without everybody else being around me. And that was my broken place. That's when I cried out to God. And that's when I got saved. And that's when everything has been different ever since that day. Amen. So you were, you were in a hole too. You know, God does some really cool stuff in the hole, doesn't he? Yep, yep, all alone, isolation. I'm reminded of Jacob. When Jacob uh, was all alone, and that was where God met him, and he literally had a rock for a pillow in Genesis. It's in the, somewhere in the late 20th chapter or the early 30th chapter in Genesis, but uh, that's where God met him and uh, changed, you know, changed, started to, started to work on him and, he ended up wrestling with him later. But, yeah, uh, so cool. Uh, my broken place was a prison cell, too, and that's where God ended up rescuing me from myself mm-hmm. and saving me from sin. So let's talk about becoming a Christian. I mean, did you – so, you know, everything is not like a country song played backwards when you get saved, right? Uh, you don't get everything back. Like, you don't get your car back and your house back and your job back and – I mean, it doesn't just get easy. You know, it's a difficult walk, right? So you get saved, you give your life to Jesus, and then what happens? Well, for me, I, I knew that um, I knew I had a safe place to come home to. I had a, a good family, a solid family. Um, but And I knew how to live because I'd had that example. Um, but I didn't really know how to interact with the church, I, I'd, I'd gone to church my whole life, but I'd stayed uh, away from church people, and so I didn't really know how to interact um, with churches or ministries, or um, I didn't have any church friends. Um, I just my family. So for me, I, I needed to have a social group that um, that understood where I was coming from, um, and that I think was the hardest set for me as a Christian was to um, I didn't still didn't trust anybody. I still didn't trust women. Um, and I remember coming to freeway and my best friend running up to me. And I, at the time I, you know, was really standoffish with her and I didn't, um, I didn't really want to be friends with her. Um, and now she's one of the most important women in my life. Um, but I needed that, um, encouragement from a church family, um, in order to be successful as a, as a Christian. So... Okay. So um, as for me, it was like um, when he says he makes all things new, he made me new. And so it was like I was a brand new baby that got released to John to Freeway Ministries with John. And John picked me up from jail and took me to the discipleship house where I got discipled in the church. And it's like I got raised in the church because I was new at that point. So I feel like I've got a fresh start at everything. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, church people are kind of weird mm-hmm. and they freak you out a little bit, <laughs> yeah. you know, especially when you don't come from a church background. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, I remember being so scared of church folk and not knowing, I'm thinking they're going to find out how messed up I am. They're going to find out about who I really am and they're not going to accept me. They're so perfect and they got all their lives so perfect. And, and then I realized that they were messed up too, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, uh, Church is very, very important. We are pro-church. If 
you're listening, you don't have a local church, and you're a follower of Christ, God has not made us to be on an island. And I would encourage you to join a local church that preaches the Word of God and believes the Bible, and uh, join as quick as you can. Uh, so let's talk through your family past. Uh, you know, you come from a certain background, you come from a certain background, so was there, uh, was there drugs involved in your family past? I mean, what brought you to the place where you started using and, and, and uh, using drugs and following and hooking up with that kind of crowd? Um, I was always attracted to things that my family said was, was bad or to stay away from. I always kind of skirted the edge. Um, but I still kept one foot in. I was... You know, when I was at church or in my family, I was one way. And then um, when I was at school, I was a different way. Um, And that caught up with me. Um, I was raped when I was 14 um, by my boyfriend at the time, by his older brother. And I didn't really know how to deal with that because nothing like that had ever happened to anybody in my family. I didn't grow up with that. So I didn't tell anybody until I was 36. And... It, it ate at me for a long time. I felt, um, I, I felt like I had, could not be a part of my family, really, or a part of the church, or I couldn't be a Christian. I didn't really know what that, what that looked like, but I felt like I had sinned, and I had done something wrong, and I'm 46, so talking about date rape back then was not a, a big deal, so I didn't really know what had happened um, until I got older, but I knew how I felt inside and I started hanging around with, you know, more people that were the wrong crowd. Um, started drinking and, um, smoking cigarettes and, um, I just completely went the opposite way and it just snowballed. Um, when I turned 19, I ended up going to prison for the first time, um, for a robbery and kidnapping, and I was gone for five years. So from that point, I didn't think that I could be restored. I didn't think that I could be redeemed. Um, I thought that I would always be that that way. So um, when I finally surrendered to the Lord, it was a relief because he, he healed all of that and uh, ministered to me personally. Um, for 30 days, he ministered to me. So Um, all of that weight was lifted off of me that I'd I'd lived with that anger um, for so long and that hurt for so long um, that it was just, it was the biggest relief I've ever had in my life. So you're not knowing how to cope with the abuse Mm -hmm. and the things that happened, the secrets Mm -hmm. kind of led you to rebelling and going uh, that direction. Yes. What was your your mom and dad doing during that time? Um, I... My dad was an army chaplain, my mom, stay-at-home mom. And, I mean, I was very good at keeping secrets, very good at sneaking out at night. And my parents didn't really know what what was, what was hit them because I was very good at lying and, um, and, you know, not telling them what was going on and sneaking in and out of the house. And I li- grew up on a military base, and so everybody just considers – everything's safe there and who would think that your home would be invaded by something like that i i left my home to go find trouble um 
And so my parents were, we were still going to church, still doing everything that um, we were supposed to do. Um, but my mom really, she, when I talked to her about it now, she said, I didn't realize what you were going through. And I hid it because I felt very ashamed um, of what had happened to me. And so I didn't realize that, that it was abuse. I didn't, I thought I had done something wrong. Okay. What about you, Will? Your family? Uh, what, when, when did you start using and going to that, to that background? I mean, what was the difference there? You heard her, kind of her back past where she was with, you know, her family were decent, moral, ethical, you know, blue collar, I guess you would say, type family, um, Christian, dad was in ministry. So you come from a background where your mom and dad were a mess, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and so what was that like as a family? What were your family doing when you were using? What? How did they respond to that? When I was using? Yeah, I mean, what what's that look like? Will's using, he started using young age. What's mom and dad doing during that time? What's that like? Um, so it was kind of like they, they loved me from a distance. But also, on the flip side of that, I mean, this is really hard to talk about and, and being being honest is, and, and talking about, like, we've all used drugs together. And so it was kind of like standoffish, but when the time came where we, we all needed some drugs, we all used drugs together. And so um, that's kind of how that went in my adult life when I started using it was kind of always, it was never a secret. It was always talked about. We we kind of just, it was. I never had to hide it or anything like that. So, and, and that's what people need to hear because they need to see that, hey, you know, you have a prison number. Mm-hmm. You have a prison. You don't have a, you have a prison number? Yeah. You have a prison number? Yeah. 116-3629. You I know, that's, it, but. that was mine. I remember <laughs> it because they say it so much, you know. But, um, but even though you both have a prison number, you both come from a different background. So as we explore people's lives and look into people's lives and see, uh, you know, people who struggle with addiction and crime, they don't have to come from this, you know, your, what does your family look like? What, what kind of past did you have? What was it like growing up? People need to know. They need to see it because it's not, uh, it can happen to anybody. That's right. You know, it, it's not because, you know, your mom and dad did this, or your mom and dad did that. It's just, it's drug, drug addiction doesn't care what color you are what family you come from, you know. I, I, I remember how much, econo- what your economic status is. I remember um, growing up and looking up to drug dealers or drug addicts, you know. Um, you were going to be one of two things or both. You're going to either be a drug dealer or you're going to be a drug addict. You're going to be a drug dealer, drug addict <laughs> growing up. And uh, I remember being, I wasn't old enough to get a license. And uh, I, have a, I have a sibling who lived in East St. Louis, uh, Illinois, a place called uh, Cokia, and um, just across the bridge from St. Louis, really rough place. And uh, I could, I, they they would sell me lots of weed, marijuana, and I didn't have a way to uh, to drive and have a car. And so I, at you know, being not even old enough to have a license, hiring people to take me down there to get dope from them, you know, <clears throat> from Jeff City, Missouri, driving all the way to Illinois, and, and it was normal, right? Uh, me and my my mom is my best friend. We hustled together. We didn't use drugs together. She didn't use drugs, but uh, I know kids that grew up and they would have to sell crack to their parents 
to buy school clothes. And then they would have to take the dope to school with them because their mom and dad would look through the rooms and try to steal it to get high, you know. And that was normal. Like, if they wanted school clothes, they had to sell dope to their parents, you know, in order to to survive. And so that's life, right? Uh, we all have that that different past, um, family past. So, Amber, what about disappointing your parents? Can you touch on that? How was that growing? How was that in your addiction? I remember you told me one time that you your dad had to leave you in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. You remember that? Yeah. Um, I was arrested for burglary originally, and um, they released me on supervised release before I caught my big cases. And I remember going um, to see my dad, my mom. They were being transferred um, to South Carolina, and um, my mom and my brother had already left. And so I remember going to see my dad, and it was the last time that I, that I would see him. He passed away when I went to prison the first time. So I went just to get some clothes from from where he was at. I had some clothes there and they, that they had left there for me. And I went just to go get those because I was too ashamed to stay with him. Um, and my, my father loved me very much. I had a wonderful dad. I have no complaints about him at all. Um, he's loving and kind and um, just a good father. But I couldn't be around him because I was so ashamed of who I was. And and I was driven to go back to um, to where I had been and, you know, running and doing what I was doing before because I couldn't face him. And so we had a tradition in our family. My grandpa used to fold up a $20 bill and give it to my parents when they would leave, when we would go visit them for gas money. And I remember him folding up a $20 bill and handing it to me and telling me that he loved me. And I, looking back, I can remember, I just couldn't wait to get out of there. Because um, I was ashamed of who I was and what I had done. Um, and I didn't realize at the time that that would be the last time I would see him. So I think when I think back, I think of my mom wasn't just, it just wasn't just a sudden thing when she passed away. She was sick for a long time. And so when I went to prison in 2015, I I got out and I went to her house and I tried to tried to do something different, which didn't end up working out. So I felt disapp- I felt like I disappointed her there because she, she really thought I was going to do something different with my life. And then I can remember um, being homeless, and when she's in the nursing home and in the hospital, um, I'm, I'm sleeping there with her, or I'm sleeping in the lobby of the, of the hospitals, and not really so much because I, I wanted to be there, but sometimes I didn't have anywhere else to be. And getting um, escorted out by the security, yelling and cussing at them, and and so I felt, and she knew about all that, and she's in there dying. So I feel that's when I feel like I really disappointed her the most, because I didn't respect her or, or have any any concern for that at all. Just kind of doing things my way, and so that was pretty hard to deal with. 
tell people drug addicts are like werewolves. You know, they switch. Like a Dr. Jekyll and a Mr. Hyde. Mm -hmm. So whenever you're under the influence of drugs or alcohol, uh, you are not the same person anymore. And so the word full of is used all through the scripture. It's filled, filled, filled. And you'll see, you know, someone was uh, filled with anger or they were filled with mercy or filled with grace. And that means controlled by. Mm -hmm. And so when Jesus would uh, deal with a demon, he didn't say, he didn't talk to the person by name. He just talked to the demon. And I, I believe that that is the same with addiction. And, uh, you, you know, that wasn't you, that you were there, but that was because you were full of methamphetamines or you were full of, you know, opiates or whatever the case may be. And that shame, right, when you're using, uh, it really gets a hold of you. And you don't know how to deal with it because what goes up comes down. And so when you come down, it hits you. When you wake up, if you go, you know, you stay up as long as you can, and then when you run out of drugs and money, you go to sleep. And then you wake up, and you're left with that, oh, man, you think about that thing. For me, my mom was, uh, she was in a hospital. She had chronic emphysema. She smoked her whole life. I hated cigarettes, still do. Um, and she was a chain smoker, and she had real bad emphysema. And, uh, and I remember... Um, I would lie to my sisters. I have two half-sisters who are a lot older than me, old enough to be my mom, and they could, you know, my parent, they'd be my parents' age. And um, and so I, uh, my mom would say, tell me, not tell them that she's got her days and nights mixed up. And her eyes were full of liquid from the, her lungs. Mm -hmm. And I would have to take a hot rag in her bedroom and hold her eyes and let it drain. And, and she said, you know, I don't want to see any. She wanted to die by herself. She wanted to die in her bedroom. She wanted to be left alone. And I promised her that I wouldn't tell them, and uh, and I told them, and they came up to our house and uh, they called an ambulance, and I watched her have a heart attack on my front porch because she wasn't strong enough to be off oxygen, mm -hmm. and she, the, the the portable tank wasn't strong enough, and and uh, and I left her in the hospital, you know, to die. I, I'd go visit her, but I wasn't up there like I should have been, you know, mm -hmm. and that guilt, you know, while I'm bar hopping and club hopping and drinking and tr selling drugs and sleeping with girls, you know, that's how I dealt with it. You know what I mean? And, and so, uh, that was my shame and addiction. And, and I, I love the verse in Colossians one, 21 and 22. Uh, I don't have, I don't have, uh, I don't know, life verses, but I have verses that have changed my life. And it says, uh, you were once alienated and enemies in your own mind by your own wicked works. Now he's reconciled to, to present you uh, because of his death, his burial, resurrection, to present you uh, holy, uh, blameless, and above reproach in his sight. And that verse helps me deal with that shame when it comes. And I think about it, you know, yep. instead of going and using. Uh, and so, did, did, so tell us about, um, let me see, I have a few questions in here. Did you ever think you'd grow up to be a drug addict, Amber? No. Um, I remember thinking I wanted to be a teacher. Uh, my mom is a teacher. She's taught English for over 40 years. Um, and um, she's, she's really my biggest hero, um, aside from my dad. Um, so I wanted to be a teacher. And I thought I would... Um, kind of skirt the edge for a little while and do what I wanted to do. 
Um, and I never imagined at 19 that I would go to prison. Um, but that's what, what sin does. It, yeah. it pushes yeah. you and it takes from you um, the, the life that you think that you want. What about you, Will? What did you want to be when you grew up? Well, I actually played baseball until freshman year, like when drugs started really bad. And so I had, uh, I wanted to be an athlete. I wanted to play baseball. But um, sin and drugs took effect, and, I, and I, everything went out the window after that. So I became a drug, ad, drug addict at a very young age, 12, 12 just about. So, And what about your family? Like, uh, you've got a brother. I do have a brother. And yeah. you've got uh, two daughters? I do. And so, uh, and you don't have to discuss intimate details, but... Mm-hmm. Addiction is it through your family? Are you you know are you a rarity or is there like are you like that you know I know now that you've got clean time and you're doing really really good and so uh, what about the rest of your family are they are there some still struggling in addiction? There is yeah there is uh, my oldest daughter doesn't really struggle with addiction yeah but she struggles with other things um, which toxic relationships and things like that which are the same thing as addictions really so i would say there's just different different um different addictions there and different um things but yeah they all still struggle my cousin i have um, family members in california that don't or never have struggled with um, drugs or alcohol or anything like that so yeah and you're you're the opposite right yeah most the opposite Uh, most of my family is in the ministry, um, very successful. Um, but you know, there's a few that still have the, they still have made different choices. Um, and I, I know for, um, but the majority of my family certain, they serve the Lord. Um, so, so did you ever think that you would change? Now I'm talking about when you were in your darkest time, you're a, you're in addiction. You're you're you're. I don't know. I can't speak for you guys, but for me, uh, selling dope to get dope to stay high. You know, number one goal is to make sure that I have enough dope to stay high and make some more money and sell some more dope and stay mm-hmm. high. You know, and so when you're in that point, maybe even looking out of the windows, running from the police. You know, not gonna let them catch me. That kind of mentality, that cycle. Uh, did you ever think, hey? You know, there's a possibility that one day I'll I'll change. Um, I I think in the back of my mind, I always knew that I could, um, or I thought I could, but I I didn't think I would. I felt after the last time I went to prison, I I had a son, and that two times before I didn't, and I never thought I would. I relapsed after 10 years, and I never thought I would take my son through that. And so I felt um, extremely defeated, and I felt I had lost everything and that I would always um, really barely be getting by. Even if I wasn't using, um, I figured that I would never be successful in, in anything that I tried. Even if I was sober, I didn't think that my life would count for anything. So there's people listening, and hopefully they'll share this, you know, to to show people who are at that place, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, 
their kids are not being raised with them. They keep going back to prison, um, you know, that they think maybe they can never change. And so they can hear this story from you guys. What would you tell that person, Amber? That we we don't change. God changes us. Mm-hmm. And um, he's the one that's faithful. Um, even when we're not faithful, he's always been faithful to me. And I can look back and I can see how he orchestrated every step of my life to bring me to the cross. So if you feel like your life can't count for anything, a life touched by God always counts for the kingdom. And it's possible. You know, it takes full surrender. I don't know what war it was. I think it was. Uh, I think it was ja- the Japanese. Now, there's a lot of scholars and history people that are listening. If I got that wrong, forgive me. <laughs> but I, I know the story's correct. Uh, there was a surrender. And uh, they walked onto, I believe it was the USS Missouri. And they signed uh, an agreement of surrender, and uh, they were totally defeated, and and they didn't walk on the USS Missouri with uh, a list of demands. They walked onto the USS Missouri, and they say, "We'll sign it. We give up." And I think that has uh, that's a great thought for those who are in addiction, uh, bound by sin, uh, no matter what it is. People say, well, I'm not an addict, you know. I'm listening to this, and and, uh, and and I'm not a Christian, but I'm not bound by addiction. I don't have an addiction issue. You are a selfaholic. Everybody's an addict. You're addicted to self. And mm-hmm. so whatever your sin is, it is about you. And addiction is the ultimate form of selfishness. So we don't come to Christ and say, okay, God, I'm going to surrender, but this is what I, you know, this I'm bringing this into my surrender. Mm-hmm. That's, that is not going to work. You know, it's no, I'm going to sign that thing. <laughs> I'm going to surrender. You give me the, the list of demands, and I'm going to agree to do whatever it takes and surrender my life to you. And so, um, but God has restored you both and brought you to a wonderful place. Uh, and we're a little over, but we're going to keep rolling because I feel like there's some things we need to cover still. Uh, but, um, Will, what about you? Um, Place. The darkest place, did you ever think you would change? Well, the darkest place, I think, would be was in the time period when my mom was in the hospital and I was getting ran out of that hospital by security, that there was times that I was walking down the street barefooted and talking to myself. And I was like, how much of this is mental illness? How much of this is my aunt? I'm talking to my aunt on the phone as I'm yelling at people, driving down the street and She's trying to figure, you know, trying to figure out where you're at. Yeah, like, is he ever going to be able to change? And so I don't, I don't think I could ever change, and I don't think anybody that's ever been around me ever thought I could change. Um, I, I was, I was at that point. What was your name? They called me Walmart Will. Walmart Will. How come? Well, because I used to shoplift a lot from Walmart and running in and out of there and in Branson and and whatnot. So. Yeah, and you work for loss prevention. <laughs> well, that's a story I told. <laughs> and, you know, I got your picture, and it is a testimony. Uh, it's pretty cool because Rachel helped me make some slides for a presentation I did last Sunday in West Texas. And uh, there's uh, – and I don't even know if you're up there on that slide, but there's a, there's slides with people's before and after. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that may not even be been that when I looked at it, but I was looking at it just thought, man, God is so good, you know. 
at what he does and how he changes us, man. Well, I know that picture that you're speaking of, and I, I could sit here and speak over and over and over again, but that picture speaks so many words. Yeah, and God used that moment, you know. Yeah. And I don't know if you were trying to look like you've lost your <laughs> mind in that picture or if that was your normal face. No, that that's, that's the... Um, that's the intensity of it. Yeah. And to know that I was at that point, you know, where is there any change? And then when after I got saved and I got to the discipleship house and I started getting taught the Bible, I started realizing that's what God does. Amen. And so I stopped believing what everybody else said about me, what the judges, the doctors, and everybody else said about me. Since I was a kid, doctors told me there was something wrong with me. And I realized that it's sin that was wrong with me. And I needed to be forgiven. And I, I believe that addiction is sin. Like I said, Me too. everybody's a self-aholic. Mm-hmm. And so, and the thing about other sin is that you can hide it better. And so when you relapse on greed or you relapse on uh, whatever your vice is, if it's not addiction, mm-hmm. you can hide it better. I can't tell by looking at you. And even those who are addicted to pornography, which is one of the strongest vices uh, as any addiction, but they can hide it better. When you relapse on that, I can't see it. But when someone's a drug addict and they relapse, uh, Warren Wearsby says, not according to drugs, but drug addiction, but he just talks about depravity, the fallen, the fallen nature of man. He says it's an outer sign of inner decay. And so I can see it better, you know, outside when you, when you relapse on drugs. But people hide their sin so well. And so addiction is sin. Addiction is not a disease, and uh, and so when you deal with what's under the addiction, which is first thing sin, then all the stuff that comes with that addiction is immaturity, insecurity, guilt, shame, uh, not knowing how to manage your life. We deal with all that stuff, then the addiction gets dealt with. Uh, and so, you know, we have so much here still we could cover, uh, but I, I want to ask just a couple questions. So talk about your first night. You're, you're hiding under a ball cap. Uh, you came to Freeway, right, somehow. Mm-hmm. How did you even know about Freeway? I was um, on parole and still on parole. And um, my PO wanted me to go to um, something that was recovery-based. And I didn't want to go to an NA or an A group. I'd gone to an NA group, and um, it just wasn't my jam. And so... Um, Somebody told me something about freeway, and so I came, and and I would sneak in and sneak out and sneak in and sneak out, and um, always, um, I used to vape at that time, and the smoking section was, you know, I could get in and out of it super easily, um, and, but I, I remember God dealing with my heart, and I remember him um, telling me, you need to serve, you need to get, you need to find an area um, where I can use you. And you said from the pulpit that we needed van drivers. And I thought, well, I could be a van driver. And I never thought that they would ever let me be a van driver. Um, but I promised the Lord that the first opportunity that I had to serve, I would do it. So I, um, sent a message into the Facebook page and sent them in my, um, my ID and they, said that I, you know, I could drive. And so when I showed up and I never thought they'd actually give me keys or a route, I thought I'd be riding with somebody and, um, and they gave me keys 
and a route all by myself to drive. And um, I started serving on a regular basis. I started coming on a regular basis, and I started picking up the girls from um, Carol Jones and um, treatment. And um, and I started bringing them to Crossway, which is um, where I got to know Hannah more. And, um, and it was a regular thing. I was coming to Freeway, and I was coming to... Um, to Crossway, and I decided I wanted to get discipled, um, and I called Sharla um, and said I wanted to get discipled, and she said, well, I want you to start coming to the women's house, and, and I told her, I just want to get discipled. I don't really, I don't really do, do women at all. I don't want to get, but um, she encouraged me to come, and I started to build relationships with women that I, I didn't realize that I needed that, that I needed relationships, um, I, that I needed to be vulnerable to people that I could trust and that would love me um, and encourage me and pour into me. Um, and so um, it doesn't seem like it's been um, almost six years, but now I'm the one that's pouring in to women. Um, and so it's been, it has been almost six years, which is crazy. Um, but that's how I started coming to freeway. That's awesome. Uh, the dead sea is the dead sea because it's all taken, no give. Mm -hmm. And so you have to have an outlet, you know, there has to be a giving and a taking, uh, you, you have to, you can't be all taken. You can't be all give, you know, everybody needs a Paul and everybody needs a Timothy if you're walking with God. And so that is powerful and so useful. You didn't know you needed it. Right. Uh, and how fulfilling it would be. So, Praise the Lord. What about you, well, brother? How I first heard of Freeway Ministries? Yeah, I mean, okay. You 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 come you come you get you you uh, you put an application in. Mm -hmm. You know, you come to the men's house. What was that like? Well, I'll I'll go back to the first time uh -huh. I ever heard of Freeway Ministries um, because it it's really a testimony of the sovereignty of God. How I how I heard of Freeway Ministries is through a friend that was in recovery in 2015 when I first got out of prison. And I watched um, a YouTube video, and I heard the gospel presented clearly, and I heard your testimony, and I, and I thought, man, I want to be a part of Freeway Ministries. But I didn't know I was going to have to repent to get there. And so I didn't. I wasn't ready. I let it, let it all down, like we've been talking about. So when I was in um, jail in 2017, and my aunt's reading off a list of recovery programs, she stopped at Freeway Ministries, and I said, hold on. I want to go there. Yeah. Call that man. And so that's how the first time, and that's how I ended up in Freeway Ministries. And I remember your aunt calling me several times, and uh, and you know me and your aunt and you and Amber, we, we, we probably wouldn't agree with everything your aunt agrees with as far as the world goes. <laughs> Uh, she's she sits on a different kind of uh, different aspect politically than we probably do, but uh, she is loves you. She is your cheerleader. She's such a nice lady, and uh, and I I wanted to help her, and so I thought it was cool somebody from the state of California calling all the way to Missouri to get someone into our program. It was interesting, and so I remember her calling me, and then uh, you applying, and then in the middle of the night about. I don't know, in the evening, 7-something o'clock, I get a call from Tanny County Jail saying, we're releasing this guy to you. Where are you at? And uh, 
And I thought, oh, what? My wife wasn't there. It was just me and my little boy. He was way littler at the time. Uh, and I said, well, you're going to have to. And I thought, if I, if I don't go get this guy, then he's going to go back to his old place where he, you know, you'd have nobody positive in, in Branson. And so I remember picking you up there and going to the jail. I had a, I had a co-pilot with me. Uh, Lewis came with me and uh, for accountability. And then they said, well, he's got a warrant. I remember that. And then uh, something told me, don't leave him, you know. And so we waited forever. And then uh, I made you promise not to quit. You know, you kept saying thank you. Everybody says thank you. They're so thankful not to be in jail, you know. And I always say, if you're thankful, then finish the program. Yeah. You know, don't. that's how you thank me. Yeah. Finish this thing. And uh, anyway, so what about that first night in the men's house? How'd that go? Well, I remember you picking me up. I remember getting in the car. I remember looking at you. And I, and I said to you, I said, I got saved in that jail. And <laughs> I know I'm supposed to be with you. So, but God is, uh, I didn't have any underwear. Yeah, I had nothing. So, well, you were used to not having underwear, man. You were Walmart <laughs> Will, you know? You could do that easy. Uh, yeah. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, it, it was either, I'm going to stop crying for a second, but it was either that, you know, I knew I, what, where to go. Where to, where to make the phone call, what drug house to go to, that went on for 10 or 15 years, the same, the same, the same, the same thing. It was different. Yeah. They wouldn't let me out until you got there. Yeah, and then they got the judge on the phone somehow. They got the warrant taken care of. Yeah. You know, that was cool. And they tried. Mm -hmm. Like, they could have just said, you're beat, go back to your cell. But they actually helped you. Yeah, I, w I could see you. I, they called me out to the to the front, like out of the pod, and I could see you in the camera, and I seen you walking back and forth, sat down, walk back and forth, sit down. And I was like, just send him home. If you're going to keep me, send him home. And they said, just hold on, Will. Hold on. That's awesome. So I think we've done good on this first episode. Uh, we're going to close it for now. I want to tell you guys that are watching, you gals that are watching, and, and then the, those of you guys who are listening, if you've enjoyed this podcast, uh, would you like it, share it, uh, help us get the word out? Um, this is a podcast of Freeway Ministries, and we're able to do what we do because people sponsor us and people uh, donate to our ministry. And so if you'd like to support Freeway Ministries, you can go to www.freeway-ministries.com, and you can, uh, you can give monthly, you can give a one-time gift. Uh, to help us reach one broken life at a time because there's more wills, there's more ambers. And so uh, we are in the trenches uh, doing the best we can to reach one broken life at a time. So thank you all. Uh, tune in again. Uh, my name is John Stroop uh, with Will and Amber. Clinton, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having us.